the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Radio. Good morning. You're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Thursday morning. We're so glad to have you join us today. I'm Gabby Smith, along with Alicia Quibido and Damien Collado. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy chilly Thursday. Yeah. Yes. Time to get risky. <laughs> no. I, <laughs> no. Sure. That's not what that I think means. we should pray. Let's do it. Today, our saint of the day is Blessed Mary Frances Shervier. Let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unworthy servants that we are, O Lord, grieved by the guilt of our deeds. We pray that you may gladden us by the saving advent of your only begotten Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed Mary Frances Shervier, pray for us. And we want to remember in our prayers uh, today and and in the coming days, all the folks that were in the the line of the tornadoes and the bad weather that um, that spared Baton Rouge, I think, but um, but many places in our listening area. Now that you are in our thoughts and prayers. Mm-hmm. We also want to pray for the Bay St. Louis area. Two fallen police officers yesterday, absolutely tragic. So we want to pray for their families, of course. Uh, during this very difficult time, the community uh, has come together in the last 24 hours quite uh, just to see candlelight, uh, you know, processions and everything like that. So we pray for them and their family, especially as we get closer to the holidays, Christmas and everything like that, where we do gather together. So please continue to keep them in your prayers. Uh, but you know, we are looking forward to today's show. You know, another day we keep on going and we do have events in our listening area we're going to give you details about. There's a lot of stuff going on. So Damien is going to dive deeper into that. It'll be in about eight minutes. In 18 minutes, Malachi Fallon joins us. He's the executive director of Xavier Society for the Blind, and he's going to be talking about their ministry. They offer Catholic publications for uh, Braille and audio, just really great stuff for people who are needing that. So uh, we're going to dive deeper into this ministry with Malachi and talk about the benefits that they offer. In 35 minutes, Tyler Morrow joins uh, Alicia in the Baton Rouge studio. She is a recruitment coordinator for the Capital Area CASA Association. And today she's going to be talking about CASA volunteering needs for foster care children in Baton Rouge. You guys, such a need. I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten just talking about foster care and their needs in the area within the last month. So we're going to be talking about that today. And in 48 minutes, Philip Lawler joins us. He's going to be talking about the book, uh, Diogenes Unveiled. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what that means with Philip. So, but yeah, Damien, like you said, it's a little bit cooler today. 
Yes, it is. Heck of a storm and uh, weather front that moved through our area yesterday and is still Mm -hmm. moving through southeast Louisiana. Currently in Florida. Should be out of our way, totally out of the country uh, by the evening tonight. Uh, Tornadoes, as Alicia said, touched down. Three people were Mm -hmm. killed. Uh, That's what was reported so far, all in Louisiana. So our prayers do go out for them and their families. Mm -hmm. And for all those who who have to deal with the destruction of those tornadoes uh, that continue to touch down. Today, it will be cold, though. The cold weather has finally reached us for December. Uh, High's going to be about 62, low 40, sunny skies. That's great. Winds out of the northwest at about 5 to 10. And for the weekend, it's going to continue to get colder. Temperatures in and around the area. Gulfport, Pascagoula, it's 48, as well as in Homa Thibodeau. Mandeville, 45, New Orleans, 51, and Baton Rouge, it's 44. We've got the gospel coming your way on Wake Up. Good morning, I'm Father Chris Decker, and today's gospel comes to us from Luke chapter 7. When the messengers of John the Baptist had left, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine garments? Those who dress luxuriously and live sumptuously are found in royal palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom Scripture says, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people who listened, including the tax collectors who were baptized with the baptism of John, acknowledged the righteousness of God. But the Pharisees and scholars of the law, who were not baptized by him, rejected the plan of God for themselves. We've heard the gospel, and now we reflect. The phrase, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist, acquires in John's case a particular poignancy because it is true literally as well as figuratively. John's very arising from his mother's womb occurred as a result of the divine stimulus brought by the incarnate word. It was to John and to his mother that the mother of Jesus first took the word she bore. We are made great by the manner in which God chooses to approach us and by the quality of our response to that approach. In the pregnant mother of God, Jesus approached John in hiddenness, to establish with him a friendship beyond words. John's response, his leap of joy, his joy in the greater presence of the Messiah, resulted in John's own interior greatness. His leaping up meant that every part of him enthusiastically surrendered at Jesus' approach. This ability to leap up in his mother's womb was fulfilled when later his every energy was expended to prepare the way for his Lord. John even had the privilege to precede Jesus in martyrdom. Nevertheless, there is an immense difference between the pre- and post-Messianic eras. The latter is incomprehensible without the former, and yet the promise cannot be compared to the fulfillment. 
the truth stands that being an ethnic member of the people of Israel cannot be compared with being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. The difference is vast between being a child of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and being a child of Jesus' fulfillment of the promise of the Father who is in heaven, divine filiation. Jesus portrays John as greater than all the prophets and of all mankind under the old covenant, and yet as lesser than the least of those in the kingdom that John himself is helping to usher in. John points to Jesus from the outside in the last shadow of the night as he heralds the impending dawn. The apostles, on the other hand, and all of us, proclaim Christ from within the body of Christ, saying to the world, Jesus is risen, he is Lord, and he has ushered us into his marvelous kingdom. Praise God. Have a wonderful day. This is Jimmy Savers. Amen, Brother Jimmy. Praise God is right. And also, thank you, Father Chris Decker. You know, a number of events and needs are happening in and around the Baton Rouge area, the New Orleans area, and elsewhere. We want to tell you about a few of those. One in particular is the Bishop Ott Shelter Toiletry Collection Drive. Now you're going toiletry Mm, collection drive. What the heck is that all about? It's been going on for 31 years, folks. And St. Vincent de Paul spearheads the project each and every year, along with a number of others, such as Albertsons, the Louisiana Healthcare Connections, even my old stomping grounds where I was really? Just, the Shalmations? Yeah, no, oh, no, no. Oh. Fox 44 and <laughs> NBC 33. That's where I used to work years ago. Cool. In the meantime, here's what's needed, folks, and it's to help the homeless men and women in our community. Uh, I know a lot of you probably collect these things, and then you put them aside, and you never think twice, especially if you go to hotels. Well, here's some of the mm-hmm. things. They need things like lotion, shampoo, body wash, um, body powder, reading glasses. How many times oh, have you lost wow. a pair of those? Yep. Yep. Put them in a bag if you mm-hmm. find them and bring them to St. Vincent de Paul. Even children's underwear, socks, knit caps. I can go on and on, mm-hmm. but it, you can go to the website and you can learn more about some of the items that you can bring, including blankets this time of year, disposable cups, plates, knives, you know, the things you get when you pick up something to go yes, and you yes. never open yeah, it up. We have a bunch in a cabinet here yeah. we need to drop off. Tell them you want a couple more a good idea. and bring them to St. Vincent de Paul. That's a great idea. What do you do? Here's the phone number, folks. 225-383-7837. That's 225-383-7837, extension zero. And you can learn more what you can do to just give a little bit to help a lot of folks. That's right. And you can drop mm-hmm. off at Baton Rouge Clinic, Albertsons, and Louisiana Healthcare Connections if you don't mm-hmm. make it all the way to St. Vincent de Paul downtown. So here's a great event for women. There's a Women's Morning of Reflection. That's Saturday, December 17th from 8.30 a.m. until noon. Is at St. Francis of Assisi in New Orleans? Uh, so the reflection will begin. That's on State Street. Again, it's December uh 
17th from 8.30 until noon. It, the theme is prayer and peace. This is pretty exciting. The founder of uh, founder and director of Lord Teach Me to Pray is the speaker. There is a voluntary donation of $10 per person. You do need to register ahead of time so you can call uh, St. Francis of Assisi in New Orleans. Uh, you could also, Gabby, there's a, a, a email address. Maybe we can put that in the comment section. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And uh, definitely want to hear Carol Weiler. Carol yes. will give give you peace and uh, give you more information about Lord Teach Me to Pray. Well, last minute gift shopping at Shepherd Staff Gift Shop over at Sister Dolce's. They're, they're going to be open tomorrow, Friday, December 16th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday, December 17th from 9 to 3. Monday, December 19th through Thursday, December 22nd from 9 to 3 again. And then Friday, Friday, December 23rd. That's the last day, 9 to 2. So pick up those wonderful gifts over at Shepherd's Staff. Very much so. And last but not least, an Advent concert, Monday, December 19th, 7 o'clock, St. Philip Neary Church in Metairie. Put it on your calendar. You'll enjoy it. Don't go away. Gabby's coming back with our guest right after this on Wake Up. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for December 15th. Today we celebrate Blessed Mary Frances Chervere. She came from a family of some means, but Blessed Mary Frances Chervere spent her life serving God's poor, sick, and aged. Born in Germany in 1819, she ran the family household at age 16, following the death of her mother and her two older sisters. In her mid-twenties, she became a secular Franciscan. At age 26, she and four companions established a religious community devoted to caring for the poor. The Sisters of the Poor of St. Francis were formally approved in 1851. In less than a decade, they had a foundation in the United States. Mother Francis, as she was called, first visited the U.S. in 1863, working alongside her sisters to nurse soldiers wounded in the Civil War. She returned a few years later to oversee the foundation of several hospitals. Her sisters continued to operate hospitals and homes for the aged around the world. In our day and often throughout the ages, the sick, the poor, the aged have often been regarded as useless members of society. Blessed Mary Frances and people motivated by her ideals remind us of the God-given dignity of every human being. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. It is 19 past the hour. Thanks so much for tuning in to Wake Up This Morning. I'm Gabby Smith along with Damian Clotto and Alicia Quibido. It's a beautiful, crisp morning, so make sure you wear your sweatshirt, bundle up, uh, and I hope you have a wonderful day today. Our first guest today is Malachi Fallon. He is the executive director of Xavier Society for the Blind. And today he's going to tell us a little bit more about this wonderful ministry. Good morning, Malachi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Gabby. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about Xavier Society and our mission. 
Absolutely. Get us started. I think this is such a wonderful um, ministry. We really don't hear much about this. And it's honestly, when, when I got more information about it, you know, uh, it, it, I felt a little, you know, it's a shame. You know, we really should shed more light into ministries like these. So tell us uh, what we can find out more about Xavier Society of the Blind. Sure, sure. So I, I've been executive director at Xavier Society here in New York City for uh, about six years. But Xavier Society has existed since 1900. Uh, we were founded here in New York City uh, by Margaret Coffey. And Margaret was a young woman, a blind woman, who taught blind mm-hmm. children. And she realized that at the time, many of the children in her classes, and she was teaching, she was basically a CCD teacher. She was teaching the, the Catholic faith uh, to the school children. She realized that many of uh, her students didn't have the same materials available to learn about their Catholic faith that their sighted uh, classmates had. So she enlisted uh, Father Joseph Stottleman, a Jesuit priest who was working in the area at the time, to help her do something about what she perceived to be as a, a grave problem and, and an injustice. Um, so they started, uh, they co-founded Xavier Society of the Blind, And Margaret was not only our co-founder, but she was one of our first uh, and biggest donors. Uh, At the time, she donated $350, which today is about $11,000 or $12,000, in order to buy a piece of equipment, which was known as a stereograph machine. So the stereograph machine allowed Xavier Society to produce books uh, in greater volumes, greater number of books. In At the time, uh, we weren't using Braille. At the time, we were using what was called New, uh, New York uh, uh, print, um, and New York point, rather, uh, which is a form of raised print, a type of Braille, similar to Braille. Um, so it allowed us to produce larger volumes in, uh, of books um, in that uh, New York point format for her students. Um, and the the, um, the very first book that we produced for her students was the Baltimore Catechism. So that's how we got started way back in 1900. That's absolutely amazing. For over one for over 120 years serving the blind, uh, this is incredible. So tell us a little bit about what you have now and what is also in Braille, and you also have some resources in Spanish as well. That's right. That's right. So we produce books. So our, our, our tagline is delivering faith and inspiration in Braille and audio. So we produce uh, books and pamphlets and study guides uh, in both Braille and we produce books in audio. Um, and all the Braille is done in-house, um, the transcription. We have a certified Braille transcriber uh, on staff. Uh, and for most of the, the single order books, we'll actually do the embossing, the imprinting uh, in Braille in-house. Uh, in addition to producing books in Braille, we produce the Sunday Mass proper, so essentially the Missalette uh, in Braille. And that the trans- we do the transcription, and then we work with the National Braille Press to do the production and distribution. So we send out the Sunday Mass propers to just about 800 people uh, across the United States and in 20 countries um, outside the United States. So 
this allows people uh, who are blind to actively participate uh, in the Sunday Mass. Um, and many of our patrons also uh, participate as lectors, readers um, in their parishes because uh, they're able to do that uh, with, the, with the assistance of the, the Mass Propers in Braille. That's incredible. Uh, Malachi, talk about how did you get started with this organization? So I, I happen to have, I had a long career in the financial services industry. Um, and I was, after about 30 or so years, I decided um, I wanted to do something different. And in, in my career, I, I had worked with a lot of nonprofit organizations. And I decided that at some point, I'd like to work for a nonprofit organization. So um, mm -hmm. I, a few years ago, I went back to school. I uh, earned a master's degree in nonprofit leadership at my alma mater, Fordham University here in, in New York City. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I was recruited for the position of executive director at Xavier Society. So it was a good fit for me because the board at that time was looking for someone with a business background, uh, someone who understood the the Jesuit ethos, and I had three degrees from Fordham, which was uh, which is a, a Jesuit university, yeah. uh, and then also someone who was familiar with nonprofits. So I had just completed the the master's degree in nonprofit leadership. So I think the uh, the stars aligned, and and uh, there might have been a little bit of divine intervention, but the timing just worked out perfectly for me. What does this organization mean to you personally? Because this is something that helps a large community. And like you said, it brings the mass reading something like that or books that we are reading uh, to uh, the blind as well. So we can all be a part of this, you know, the church and, and what makes it up. Well, a great example uh, for me is always our annual St. Lucy Mass. So St. Lucy mm -hmm. is uh, one of the patron saints of the blind, and her feast day is December 13th. And we recently uh, celebrated the Feast of St. Lucy with a Mass um, at the parish of St. Francis Xavier, so that down on 16th Street mm -hmm. in New York City, so, which is where we were founded and where we took our name. Um, and at that Mass this past uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, we had a blind priest, Father Jamie Dennis, who travels up from Owensboro, Kentucky, every year to be the main celebrant in the Mass. And we had, we probably had about 75 or so of our patrons from the tri-state area that joined us, you know, at the Mass. And the readers, uh, you know, for the, 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 the first reading for the responsorial psalm for the prayer of the faithful, uh, the three readers all used um, our Braille materials to do the readings at the Mass. Um, and by the way, anybody who's interested can view a live stream, the recording of the live stream of that Mass um, on our website, Xavier Society for the Blind, uh, dot org. But you know, what I heard over and over um, was the, the gratitude for Xavier Society over you know, mm -hmm. our long history for providing these materials that allow uh, the blind, uh, no vision and low vision community of faithful to participate together, uh, which is very mm -hmm. important to participate as a, as that particular community of faithful together um, uh, in the celebration of mass. 
Um, and as Father Jamie said at, at the Mass, he said, it's, you know, it's unusual, it's not often uh, that he as a priest has a congregation that looks like him at, and that the congregation mm-hmm. has a priest that looks like them. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a real opportunity for um, our blind and, and visually impaired patrons to celebrate the Mass together. And it was, a, a, for them and for me, uh, again, personally, back to your question, it was a very you know, joyful experience. Malachi, just looking at your website, doing research as I was preparing for this interview, uh, the thing that really struck me was looking at the uh, different people that you have helped or the different people that have been, um, you know, just benefited from Xavier Society for the Blind, from young children to to priests, religious sisters, the elderly. I mean, you are helping everyone, and it's just really inspiring. So real quick, we have about a minute left. Where can we go to maybe get those mass readings for someone that we know that could use this uh, and find out more information about uh, what you guys do over at Xavier Society of the Blind? Sure. So, the you know, one way is to just go to our website, and I mentioned it, XavierSocietyForTheBlind.org. Um, and then you can also call us. Um, our phone number is 212-473-7800, um, and you can talk to Saul Buckhalter, who's our uh, client services coordinator. Uh, we also have an 800 number, um, and that's 800-637-9193. Um, so if, if there's something you're looking for, if there's something that someone's looking for, they can't find it on our website, uh, browsing our catalog, they can certainly call and talk to Saul, and he'd be more than happy to uh, navigate uh, through uh, our catalog to find what people need. And then also, to, if people are interested, then they can register with us and become a patron and receive our materials. Mm-hmm. And everything that we provide is provided free of charge. So we rely oh, wow. on donations from individuals and a number of um, family foundations and smaller foundations. Um, but that's, that's the best way to, to get through to us and get in touch with us. I'm so glad you said that. We're definitely going to have you on again. You're welcome at any time. Uh, Have a happy rest of your Advent, Malachi, and a Merry Christmas. Thanks very much, Gabby. You too. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Tyler Morrow joins us, Alicia and Damien in the Batteridge studio right after the break. It is half past the hour on Wake Up. It's 35 minutes after the hour. Thanks for tuning in to Wake Up on Catholic Community Radio. We're joined this segment by Tyler Morrow. Tyler is the recruitment coordinator for the Capital Area Casa Association. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. We're so happy to have you with us, Tyler. You know, uh, we are pro-life people, and this foster care is is such an important pro-life cause. And CASA is just an amazing program. I mentioned to you during the break that, I, that I'm a little familiar with it from years gone yes. by. But uh, but give us, in a nutshell, what is CASA and what does it stand for? Okay, so CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. So you are a community person appointed by the judge, basically just there to speak on behalf of the child in foster care. Um, you have no other motives other than speaking on the child's best interests and trying to put that child in a safe and permanent home. Okay, so we're not talking about foster parents, we're talking about an advocate 
in the courtroom with for the child yes so you are just a community volunteer um the foster parent is someone who's housing the child at the time Mm -hmm. but you're not necessarily going to court with the child every single time or kind of involved in what's happening with that child's court case and so the CASA volunteer is that person who is kind of seeing what's going on behind the scenes and going into the courtroom to speak for that child and what they think is best for that child okay okay so tell us so so CASA is such an important program Uh, the majority of these children or all of these children have suffered from some kind of abuse or neglect Yes. And that's why they're in foster care. Yes. And so they have to go to court for the court to decide uh, whether or not the child should go back to their home. To their home, to yes. Their home. So okay. um, we tell our volunteers during training that the first and best option is reunification because we find that these children always are wanting to go back to their biological parents. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not always the case. And these children did come into foster care for a reason. And so the CASA volunteer is kind of that person to kind of see whether or not it's safe for them to go back or if adoption might be the best option for them. Okay. Now this was started, we were talking earlier, this was started in 1992 in the Seattle area by a judge who really, I mean, he decided that that he needed somebody to tell him about the child. Yes. So he was a judge and he had a case, a very hard case with a three-year-old child. And he really, he said, I really just wish there was a lay person from the community who was here only to speak on behalf of the child because in that courtroom it's very hectic there's Mm -hmm. lawyers for the parents for the child it's it's crazy and there was no one there really just to speak in the best interest of the child and so this judge created casa so that people from our community volunteers can visit this child see what's going on and go in court and speak on behalf of them wow so so a casa volunteer do they need to have any kind of legal background to understand the process? Or? So that's a common misconception when people are wanting to become CASA volunteers. People think that you have to have a background in social work or law. That is not the case at all. You can be from any walks of life. Um, the only requirement that we have is that you're over 21 year and that you go through an extensive background check. But other than that, it's really just a person from the community who's wanting to do something good for a foster child. And you need to make a one-year commitment. That's another requirement, a one-year commitment yes. to the child. So um, once you become a CASA volunteer, we ask that you visit the child every 30 days. Okay. Um, we do ask that it's in person. COVID was a different situation, oh, sure. but now we are asking because it's it's easier to kind of see what's going on that way and for mm-hmm. the for you to create a relationship with the child. And we're actually the only CASA who allow our volunteers to drive the child around, oh, okay. which really helps their situation because yes. it gives you that alone time with the child mm-hmm. and helps them to open up to you more. Right. So we ask you that you visit them every 30 days. We ask that you go to their court hearings, which are every six months usually, okay. so not that much time in the courtroom, and then we ask that you stick with the case for a year, which the case could be less, could be more, but we just ask minimum a year. And so do do the 
CASA volunteers need to know all that background of why the child ended up in foster care? Or are they just meeting the child where they're at at the foster home? How does that work? Okay, so we have advocate supervisors at our office. And okay. once you become a CASA volunteer and are assigned a child, you're also assigned an advocate supervisor from our uh, office okay. who is basically holding your hand every step of the way. Because as a volunteer, you do have to write court reports, okay. which, like I said, you don't have a back. Most of them don't have background in social work right. or law or anything like that. So they are able to set up all of your meetings with the child, with the foster parents, okay. with the school, everything. Because you, as a CASA volunteer, are allowed to talk to anyone you want to kind of figure out what's going on in that child's life. Okay. So there's an advocate supervisor there for you every step of the way, helping you set up everything okay. and explaining the child's case. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about CASA. That's court appointed special advocate. Yes. They are volunteers. Tell us about the dire need you have for CASA volunteers right now. Yeah. So before COVID, we were actually serving every foster child in uh, East Baton Rouge Parish. Wow. And since COVID, we currently have a wait list of over 130 children in foster wow. care who don't have a CASA volunteer. And it is so important that these children do have a CASA volunteer because if they don't, there's really no one there who is speaking for their best interest. Sure. And so it's so important right now that there's someone there to speak on behalf of them and kind of hold their hand throughout this journey because most of these kids are in school, they have so much other things going on right. and they just really need someone there for them. Just so on their side. Yeah. 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 Uh, so talk about what it looks like, what a CASA, like what's the perfect CASA volunteer? Is this a person who has uh, 40 hours a week available just to spend on this case? Or is this a person like like me and Damien who work full time? And <laughs> I mean, exactly. It could be anyone. We have volunteers from all walks of life. You can have a full-time job or you can be retired with nothing to do. Okay. You literally just have to commit to seeing that child every 30 days. And what's actually really good about something that came from COVID is they're still doing Zoom court. Okay. So a lot of our volunteers will even be at work and kind of just open up their Zoom court and be there because court takes forever. It's yes. this whole process. And so we actually have a lot of full-time working people who are volunteers wow. and say it's perfectly manageable. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's about 10 to 15 hours a month, a right? Month. That's what we That's what we ask okay. for. I said every 30 days, but we, we do ask that you okay. spend as much time as you can with that child just to really understand what's happening in their life so that you can speak on behalf yes. of them. What are some of the activities that go on between the child and how old... What's the age range usually for the child? Okay, so you actually, after you go through our training, which we can talk about, um, you kind of fill out a survey of whether you want a girl, boy, mm -hmm. younger, newborn, teenager, and then you're kind of assigned as best as we can oh, sure. that way. But we have um, foster children from newborn to up to 18, which at 18, they age out of oh, the foster sure. care system. Okay. So okay. we have up until 18 
children. And, and activity-wise, so, you can take them to have ice cream and exactly, things like that. Exactly, yeah. So that's one of the greatest things that we have at our office is that you are able to drive them because you go through such an extensive background check mm-hmm. that you can take them anywhere. Um, like I said, you're very involved in their life. So if you want to speak to their teachers, you can. Your advocate supervisor can set that up. If you want to speak to their doctors, you can. You can kind of say, um, I think that they need special learning or okay. something like that If because no one else is looking for that. And so you can say that to the judge and help that child out with any of their needs. So. Tyler, we, we just have not even a minute left. <laughs> Sorry. We had so much that we, no, no, no. That we had so much we wanted to talk about, and we wanted to talk about training. Just very quickly, just let people know they don't let you out there just by yourself if you want to be a CASA volunteer. There is training. Uh, there is uh, lots of requirements, um, but it is a wonderful way to help a child who needs who needs a friend, who needs an advocate. There are also other ways uh, uh, that you can volunteer for CASA and not necessarily be a child advocate. Tell our listeners real quick what that website is to find out more information. Yes, you can find out more information on www.casabr.org. And there you can find all of our information about signing up for training, about doing a Zoom orientation and wonderful. And welcome back to Wake Up on this beautiful Thursday morning after yesterday. Just about anything's beautiful. And uh, with that being said, our next guest is Philip Lawler. He is actually the editor of Catholic World News. Did you know, Alicia, that it was the first English-language Catholic news service operating on the Internet? I did not know that. Yes, but Philip did. It was founded back in 1995, and he is also program director of the Center for the Restoration of Christian Culture at Thomas More College in New Hampshire. He's been around the block, let me just say that, and he's here to talk about a book entitled Diogenes Unveiled, and he's the editor of the book. And it was uh, really excerpts taken by uh, from uh, Father Paul Mankowski. Philip, welcome to Wake Up. After all that introduction, I apologize, <laughs> but I wanted people to know who you were. Well, thank you very much. And uh, with that being said, let's talk about the book. Very intriguing. And uh, uh, sorry to say Father Paul Mankowski is no longer with us. Uh, but boy, what an intellect, but also what a sense of humor, even if it is somewhat satire. Exactly. When he died, it was it was a very sudden, shocking death a couple of years ago. And almost immediately, a, a number of his friends, including myself, said, we really need to do something to make this man better known, because he had lived under restrictions for years. He was a Jesuit, and his Jesuit superiors... Uh, ordered him not to publish under his own name, and so he didn't. He used pseudonyms, (laughs) and uh, most of that material I had collected either in the magazine Catholic World Report or else on the Catholic World News site. And so I put together a number of, well, he had done more than 3,000, I think it's probably more than 5,000 contributions for us, under the pseudonym of Diogenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when he died, I said, well, there's no point in maintaining the fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. He should be identified. And it's some of the most brilliant and insightful and uh, and hilarious writing that you're going to find. Yes, and he's he, like you said, wrote a number of books. But this one, I love the fact that it's almost like 
getting a uh, firsthand look at his diary and his true thoughts about what was going on in and around the world, especially in our country. That's right, and that's not a coincidence, because this began from email uh, correspondence that he had with, uh, with me and with several other people. And after a while, we said, you know, this is too good to just uh, confine to ourselves. We should put this out for, for the world to see. So the book, Diogenes Unveiled, is largely bite-sized pieces. And I tell people, you mm -hmm. know, if you find it in a bookstore, just browse through and read some of these things that you can read in a few in a minute or two. And if if you can go through four or five of them without getting hooked, <laughs> You're so right. And I have not had a chance to go through the book completely, but I was thumbing through just to get a feel for who uh, Father uh, Minkowski was. And very impressive, very insightful. Uh, I, I love the, just one of the uh, sections, the political world. He wasn't afraid to talk politics being a Jesuit. He wasn't afraid to talk about anything, really. That's true, too. But, but you know, a lot of times they, they this old separation of church and state, it's hard to do, and he, he kind of shares that. Yes. Well, I, I think if there's one thing that would characterize his writing is that he was very impatient with uh, foolishness, with nonsense, mm -hmm. and he wanted to expose it when it was in the political realm, when it was inside, inside the church even just when it was in society at, at large, and he had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Well, when you think about Diogenes himself, what, 400 years before Christ, and we're looking for honesty and truth, he was doing the same thing. I, he, he picked the right name for his pseudonym to, mm -hmm. or, or a ghostwriter, so to speak. I think that's right, although I think he was a more pleasant man than the, the original mm -hmm. Diogenes, who was was a, a really irascible character. Yes, yes. Well, uh, again, I, I just learning about Father uh, Minkowski. Tell our listeners a little bit about who the man is, so when they get the book and they start reading, they'll have a better understanding of where he's coming from. Yes, he was, the first thing you need to know is he was absolutely brilliant. He was a scholar of Semitic languages. He taught Semitic languages at the Vatican. Uh, he had degrees from Harvard, Oxford, and the University of Chicago. Um, but he was not confined to that scholarly field, as we've been saying. He, he commented on, on all sorts of things. Um, he was in correspondence with all sorts of philosophers, uh, novelists, political leaders. He was friendly with the former prime minister of Australia, uh, Tony Abbott, who wrote an obituary, which I think we include in this book, um, he, he had an enormous influence. He's, he's probably one of the most influential people you've, you have never heard of. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's true. No. And, you know, uh, he wasn't afraid to address the modern-day issues facing the church, even. Absolutely not. And he had, in a sense, he didn't have much to lose. He was already sort of on the outs with the Jesuits. Uh, and he, he was not very bothered by that. I, I say that he was, he was also a very faithful Jesuit, and I wouldn't want to let uh, your listeners have the misunderstanding that he just 
criticized because he was he was an extremely faithful priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lived his vow of poverty such that he did not own anything that he couldn't pack into a medium-sized suitcase. Wow. Uh, he he wore frayed clerical shirts that he got from uh, hand-me-downs from Jesuits who had died. Um, when he when we, I would give him a book, he would read it and then pass it on to somebody else because. Although he was a scholar, he did not own books. Ah. He took his Christmas vacations rather than coming home to visit with his family. He worked with uh, Mother Teresa's nuns and missionaries of charity in orphanages in uh, Albania and Romania in just horrible circumstances. That's, yeah. that's well, how he chose to spend his free time. Yeah, amazing man. And, and like you said, he was a fighter to save souls. In fact, the the more I learned about him, the more I I consider him a modern day Saint Paul, sort of his namesake. You know, that's an interesting perspective. I had an interview a few uh, days ago with a priest who had said that as he read this book, he said he wanted to learn more about this Jesus with whom Father Mankowski was so obviously in love. Mm-hmm. That that was the uh, the thr- thrust of what he got out of the book. Yeah, well, just thumbing through it, that's kind of what I picked up as well. Uh, I am so sorry to say, Philip, we are out of time. Philip Lawler, editor of Diogenes Unveiled, you got to get the book. It's a great read, whether you get it for Christmas or early next year. But I love it. Uh, you probably had a tough time trying to edit this thing. So God bless you. But have a Merry Christmas, and thank you for joining us on Wake Up. And the same to you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Philip Lawler, editor of the book Diogenes Unveiled. You can pick up the book at Ignatius Press. Also, uh, Alicia, what's that website again for CASA, for those who maybe didn't get the chance to jot oh, it down when you were talking Casa, to Dollar? C-A-S-A-B-R dot org. That's CASABR dot org. They are really in dire need of volunteers, so check out their website. There's tons of information there. Okay. We're going to wrap up with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God. Bless our families and our homes, strengthen our bonds of love, and help us grow closer together in unity and caring concern. Give us graceful, generous hearts filled with charity for each other, lovingly expressed in our words and in our deeds. Protect our families and our homes from harm. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll get you back here tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. We're continuing our discussion about foster care in the area. Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie, joins us. And Debbie Cowden with her book, Prayer Book for Tired Parents. Have a wonderful Thursday. God bless. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Radio.